Shelley Wright, where are we sitting? We're sitting in my lab here on the San Diego campus where we're trying to build a range of astronomical instruments. To look for what? We build a variety of things. Some are instruments that go behind existing telescopes like the WM Keck Observatory. And then we also try to design new telescopes to potentially look for intelligent life and communicating life. Did you say the Keck telescope just now? I did just say the Keck Observatory telescope, yeah. There's two of them. That's famous. It's famous. It's Mauna Kea, Hawaii. They're twin telescopes. They're 10 meters in diameter. It is an engineering marvel. The Keck Observatory was one of the first segmented telescopes in the world. There used to be single dishes. And some UC professors figured out that we could segment different mirrors and then put them in phase to a single telescope. And so there's 36 segments that form a 10 meter diameter. And it is literally a marvel of the world and an enormous telescope that can see distant things in our universe. What was the biggest challenge in doing that? When they first built it, it was learning how to phase those 36 segments, which are hexagons, and put them in basically into a gigantic hexagon and phase it into a single dish. Learning how to do that hardware, which involved pistons moving those mirrors, and then actually the software and computing back in the early 90s was when they had to phase this. Once we had the telescopes, of course, we wanted to put cameras behind them. And that's how there's people like me and other professors that like to think about new instruments that go behind these Keck Observatory telescopes. What you showed me just now was astonishing. And that is, if you imagine a very, very large dinner plate, and I was terribly worried as you were holding it so sort of casually in your eye. I thought, if that's made of glass, it's so precise it's going to be worth squillions, but it turned out to be made of plastic. And it's so accurate. How did you make that out of what material? So that is for a project for a study, and it's to build our own unique telescopes, these very small telescopes, and those are called Fresnel lenses. We don't make them. Other industry makes them. They're acrylic pieces of glass, and they press them to allow them to focus light into great magnification power. And our early on, we explored about a dozen companies, about 40 of these, and we explored how their optical quality would maybe good enough to make optical astronomical telescopes. And by golly, they do. So we're now making these about 20 inches in diameter. It's a large piece of optics. And just the other day, I was holding it, and I, by accident, I, I hate to admit this, I accidentally dropped it while I was demoing it, and everybody in the room gasped except for me, because I knew it was made of plastic. But it, it is remarkable, and the image quality we're able to get with these kind of opens up a new type of telescope that we use. Who would use it? Well, people like to use them for small telescopes that can take large images of the sky, so we want large fields of view that we can look at it. We are interested in them for using for applications for SETI. We have a project called Panoramic SETI, so we want to build many small telescopes that are capable of taking a picture of the sky over large areas. So in this case, it's about 10 by 10 square degrees. Yeah, if you imagine some sort of container, which is spherical almost, and if you picture a mango, which you cut up in little squares, you've got a zillion of those square type things dotted over this sphere, and they're all little telescopes acting together. Is that right? Yeah, that's a very good description of it. Each telescope looks at a patch of the sky, and if you have many of them, let's say we have 50 of those telescopes, you can basically look at the entire sky at once. 
And they can act in unison by working with other telescopes that look at the similar area of the sky. And what we're interested in looking for is something very transient that would be kind of a bright flash of light. And how fast will the picture be taken that you can do? That is the remarkable part. So in the detector, we have a system that can take a picture every nanosecond. So one billionth of a second, we take an image. And in one second, we get a billion images that we have to process, which is just remarkable for, in terms of processing. But we're also looking at something that could generate kind of a burst of light within that nanosecond. And analyzing that, does that take a million years? No, it doesn't anymore. We use fast electronics that are on the detector board itself that is actually telling us if something arrives within that nanosecond. If something does arrive, we say, aha, that's really interesting. Let's save that picture. And we immediately save that picture. Are these instruments up and running yet? We have about three of these instruments on sky as of last May uh, at Lick Observatory, which is a uh, mountaintop called Mount Hamilton above San Jose, California. And has it found anything yet? <laughs> Nothing that we would call the presses over, but we have seen very interesting things astrophysically. So we can see stars. We're interested in following up things that you alluded to, like fast radio bursts, to see if there's kind of optical counterparts. And then we also see high energy showers in our atmosphere. That's part of the science that we're interested in as well. Talking to Jean-Luc Margot at uh, UCLA, suggesting that if you are in search of a signal from ET, <laughs> whatever it may be, from far away, then you look for one signal coming from the sky rather than lots. Are you possibly looking at using some of those instruments you have for doing similar sort of work to Jean-Luc? Jean-Luc Margot has a very interesting project that uses the Green Bank Telescope for radio searches. And the way he describes that's really well, which is if we're looking for a signal from ET, presumably ET is, you know, maybe has a home around another star. It's a single point in space. So we're looking at basically signals that would come thousands of light years away, hundreds of light years away. So it'd almost be a single point in the night sky rather than a signal that may be arising everywhere, which would imply something coming from Earth. So our project does exactly that. We look for signals that may be coming from distant stars, maybe even between stars, because we can look everywhere at once, basically. But looking for a signal that comes from a single point that arrives in a single moment of time. Why personally are you so keen on looking for ET? I think asking whether we are alone in the universe is a question that all of us ask and brings purpose to our place here in the universe. A lot of people explore this in astrobiology, thinking about life's origins. A lot of people think about it in terms of, is there bacterial life on Mars right now or on Europa? And SETI kind of just skips over all of that. It says, if intelligent life, which is questionable here on Earth for ourselves, but if intelligent life exists, could it exist on other planets? And if they do exist, could they have technology like our own or likely even better? And if they do, would they be communicating? And so I think SETI for me is kind of the penultimate direction of trying to find our place in the universe, not just is there microbial scum on Mars, but is there somebody else you know, doing TV shows and interviews on a different planet. Shelley Wright is a professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego.